I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 and John chapter 15. I want to start a a new series this morning. One that we've taught numerous times throughout the years. Called Steps to Answered Prayer. Now this is a series, as I said, I've taught a number of times. Uh, We... Over the years, I think uh, the the pattern has been we put a tape series out and then we update it every time that we teach it again. But it's one of those series, it's one of those teachings that I really ought to do once a year. The reason for that is there are new people coming in all the time. And it's something that, uh, that new people need to hear and that old people need to be re- reminded of. I, um, I've got a real witness in my heart this morning about uh, the importance of this series because it could make the difference in somebody receiving their healing or not. It could make the difference in life or death. It could make the difference in a family making it and surviving or being torn apart by financial disaster or hatred. I think a lot of times we take for granted the truth of the word that's provided to us and the guarantee of victory if we'll just operate according to what God said. Amen. I'll start in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul, after instructing the church to put on the armor of God so that they're prepared to stand against the work of the devil said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Other translations say instead of praying with all prayer, and you would well understand the fact that the the language says praying with all prayer, it's got to be talking about different kinds of prayer. Well, that's what other translations relate. Praying with all kinds of prayer or or all manner of prayer. I like Goodspeed's translation on this. It says praying with using every kind of prayer and entreaty and at every opportunity praying in the spirit. I like that. My point is very simply this with this verse of scripture and that is that there are different kinds of prayer. Now think about that from God's standpoint. Why would he create and put in the church different kinds of prayer? Most Christians are clueless, it seems to me, when it comes to prayer, specifically the fact that there are different kinds of prayer because most Christians, and I hope you don't fall into this category, I trust you don't, but most Christians pray one kind of prayer and that's the only thing they have have any experience in. But now Paul is speaking by the Holy Ghost writing to the church, telling us that there are different kinds of prayer. Now, how would Paul know that? How would Paul know that there are different kinds of prayer? You can't find a list anywhere. We can go through the Bible and identify seven or eight or or nine, depending on how you categorize them. Different kinds of prayer, but there is no list anywhere. How would he know? 
if not but by the direction of the Holy Ghost and how he's experienced that God has used him in prayer. There are different ways to learn about prayer. One is from teaching, and that's good. It can help us. But I think one of the greatest ways to learn about prayer is by praying. It's kind of like the difference between reading a driver's handbook and having experience in driving. A lot of people know what's in the handbook. But you wouldn't want to be anywhere close to them when they get behind the wheel. So when the Bible says praying with all kinds of prayer, again, if the Bible is specific in in, uh, identifying that there are different kinds of prayer, then I think one thing we have to consider is what makes the different kinds different. Well, we could certainly understand that there would be different kinds of prayer for different purposes. But if different prayer produces different purposes or different results, wouldn't that also mean that they have to have different rules to pray by? Otherwise, if you use the same rules for every kind of prayer, it'd be the same kind of prayer. That's really the point that I want to get to. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the last part of the verse says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means you can be effective in prayer or you can be ineffective in prayer. The effectual or effective fervent heartfelt prayer of a righteous man avails much. I think too much of the church has wasted their efficiency through a lack of understanding in prayer. I believe it's too late in the game for us to be ineffective in our prayer lives. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you in this series about one kind of prayer. That's the prayer that receives from God. Now, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 15, it is, in my thinking, the prayer that most of the church prays most, if not all the time. What I mean by that is most Christians' prayer life as it seems to me, you judge it for yourself. And again, I hope you don't fall into this category. But it seems to me that most Christians are always praying for God to give them something. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. He gave Jesus. And the Bible says if he gave Jesus, which was his best, how will he withhold anything else from us? He wants to give to you. But even when it comes to asking God to give you something, you can pray ineffectively. Just because you're asking God for something doesn't mean that it's a guaranteed result unless you follow the, follow the instructions, Holy Ghost given instructions to receive. Amen. There's, there have been surveys done throughout the years. The latest one I saw was about three or four years ago where a sampling of, uh, it was quite a large sampling of 2,500 Christians were asked about the prayer life. How many of you pray regularly and so forth? And about 60% said that they pray regularly. Of those 60% that said they pray regularly or often, when they asked how many of you have ever had an answer to your prayer, the percentage was like 20%. Now that baffles me. If prayer is not working... Either, number one, why do you keep doing it? 
Or number two, and in my thinking more importantly, why don't you figure out why it doesn't work? But that seems to be a foreign concept to a lot of people. The Bible says very specifically that if you meet the Bible conditions, God's conditions for prayer, you'll get an answer every time. John 15 verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Folks, I want you to understand something. Jesus is leaving no room for God to get out of this. There is no wiggle room in this whatsoever. Jesus is guaranteeing a result if you meet the conditions. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's conditional. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Notice it in verse 8, it goes on talking about the same thing. He said, herein, in this way, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, what kind of fruit is he talking about? He's talking about you asking what you will and getting the answer. The fruit that he's talking about is you receiving from God. And notice that that glorifies God. If Jesus knew what he was talking about. Herein. In you receiving answers to your prayer. In you receiving from God. Herein. Is my father glorified. God wants you to get answers more than you want the answers. God wants you to receive what you need from him. More than you want to receive it from him. Well why don't people receive then? Well, we see in the Garden of Eden that the work of the devil is to try to rob you of what God's already promised and provided for you. That's what the Garden of Eden experience was all about, isn't it? God had provided man everything that he would ever need. He put him in charge, given him authority over all the works of his hands. Say, uh, um, excuse me, Adam was in that sense the God of this world or the ruler of this world. And what was the devil's work? To try to take from him, steal from him what God had already provided. Well, is there any reason to think the devil's changed his operation? None whatsoever. The devil's still doing the same work. Not because he's faithful, but because that's all he's got. He's still out after to do the same work that he did in the Garden of Eden. And that is to rob from you what God has provided for you. Or the means to receive from him whatever you need. So first and foremost, I think we need to identify that the number one reason why most Christians don't receive from God is first and foremost, they don't meet the qualifications. They don't meet the conditions Jesus set out. Secondly, because they allow the devil to steal from them what God has made available. Well, I don't want that to be me. Do you? It doesn't have to be. Notice how many times the word you is in that verse, 
in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. Notice it doesn't say you shall ask what God wills. It says you shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. Folks, I want you to understand something. I want to say this as clearly as possible. You getting answers to your prayers depends more on you than it does on God. Because God doesn't change whether you meet the qualifications or not. God doesn't change whether you prepare yourself against the work of the devil to steal it from you or not. God is the same. His provision is abundant. And his will is clear. He wants you to receive. So if we don't receive, it's not his fault. It's ours. So we want to talk about these steps to answered prayer. I first heard this teaching in uh, February of 1980 at Brother Hagin's seminar that he held there on the campus at Brema in Tulsa. He called it seven steps to answered prayer. I condense his seven steps into four. But if you'll follow these steps faithfully, diligently, you can always expect an answer to this kind of prayer. Now, these rules won't govern every kind of prayer. But they do govern this particular type of prayer that receives from God. Now, what is the kind of prayer that receives from God? Well, James 1 verse 5, chapter 1 verse 5, James is talking about a man receiving from God. And he said, if we don't ask in faith, then we shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. So this prayer that receives from God has to be the prayer of faith. It has to be the prayer of faith. These steps... Seven step, or well, Brother Hagin's seven steps, my five step. How many do I have? I've got four steps. <laughs> I'll get it right in a minute. These four steps will guarantee you an answer to prayer every time to receive what you need from God. Now, I want you to turn back with me to the Old Testament book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. The first step is very simply this. You've got to prepare to receive. You've got to prepare to receive. I used to call it you have to prepare to pray. But it really goes further than that. You have to prepare to receive. One of the best quotes that I've ever seen, I just saw recently, and it's by a friend of mine. I never would have expected he had come up with something this profound. He'd say the same thing about me, so don't get upset. But he said this. He said, rising to the occasion is a myth. You never rise above your level of preparation. Man, I like that. And he's right. This idea that whatever's on the inside of us will just come out all of a sudden and show up and save the day. That never works. But if we prepare, if we put the right things on the inside of us, 
then when the time comes, we've got something to draw from. And that will lead us into victory. Joshua chapter 1 is the open secret to success. God is speaking to Joshua, who's taking over as the leader of the children of Israel, now that Moses has gone off the scene. God talked face to face with Moses. He appeared in the cloud of glory, the pillar of fire. He defeated the enemies when Moses raised his hand. He parted the Red Sea when he stretched out his rod over the waters. Joshua has a hard act to follow. And God tells Joshua, here's the secret to success. Now, he's already told him, I will be with you even as I was with Moses. Most people would have taken off from that meeting with God and gone running around the building and up and down the wilderness and said, hallelujah, hallelujah, God's going to be with me like Moses. Can't wait for that to start. But then God tells him what to do so that he can work with him like he did with Moses. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law, that's all they had of the word of God. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about my word. Shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then... Everybody say then. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, he says, you make your way prosperous. Now, most Christians are looking for God to do something for them. Most Christians are praying that God will take care of the devil, fix their situations, Give them whatever money they need and make sure that they walk in health. Yet that's completely contrary to what, what God is saying to Joshua in what is definitely the secret to success. It's got to be a secret because most Christians don't operate in it. But it's not an unknown secret. It's a hidden. It's a, an open secret. It's not hidden from anybody's view. It's right there for anybody to take advantage of. Well, what are we to do to ensure that we make our way prosperous and have good success. One translation, I think it's the Amplified Translation, says of that last phrase, and thou shalt deal wisely in the affairs of life. Well, if you're going to have success in life, you're going to have to deal wisely in the affairs of life, aren't you? So you can see how that fits as well. So what are we going to have to do to ensure that we make our way prosperous? Now, if God was going to do it for us, He would have told Joshua up front, wouldn't he? I think what a lot of people think and the idea that a lot of people have is that God must have told Joshua, and we know that Joshua had success. We know he has successfully led the children of Israel into the promised land and overcame all the obstacles and the enemies and so forth and dispossessed them from the promised land to take possession of it. So we know that he had success, but it seems to me that most people must think that God said to Joshua, just lay back. Take it easy. Go where I tell you to go. When I tell you to move, you move, and I'll make sure everything happens just right. And if they think that, then they become disappointed and disillusioned because that's not the way it works with them. So then the enemy comes and brings condemnation and says, well, there must be something wrong with you. 
Because God did that for other people. And if he do it for other people and not doing it for you, then there's only one of two possibilities. Either something's wrong with you or God's unreliable. So you can well see why many Christians are confused about how things work and who God is. But if we examine what God really said, God said, Joshua, your success will be determined by what you do. I'll be with you like I was with Moses. But that doesn't mean you don't have a role to play here. Well, what is his role to play? What part does he play in this? Number one is a relationship with the word. He said, you're going to have to make the word of God first place in your life. This book of the law, my word, shall not depart out of your mouth. Now, how do you keep something from departing out of your mouth? Every word you say, once it's gone, is gone. How do you keep it from departing out of your mouth? There's only one possibility, and that is you have to keep saying it. You have to keep saying it. So he's saying, my word is going to have to be on your lips all day long and all night long. And notice what God calls that. God calls that meditating in the word. Now, the word meditation or to meditate freaks some Christians out. Because they get the idea of some Eastern religion sitting cross-legged and humming. And there's a big difference in Eastern religion meditation and, and Bible meditation. The religion, the Eastern religion form of meditating is to empty your mind. I think a lot of Christians have a head start on that. <laughs> but that's not what Bible meditating is. Meditating in the Word of God is filling your mind with his word by speaking it. It's not opening your mind up and getting it, getting it emptied out of everything else so that it can be used by some operation of the spirit realm. That's what Eastern religions teach. It's a perversion of what real meditation is. Real meditation is meditating in the word by speaking the word of God. Now what happens when you speak the word of God? Well, there are other scriptures. We don't want to take just make a doctrine off just one scripture. There are other scriptures in the Bible that talk about meditating. We may come back to Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, but let me refer you to a couple of other places. Psalm 1:1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Sounds a lot like Joshua 1.8, doesn't it? In Proverbs chapter 7, Verse 1, my son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them about thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Now this is something that, uh, that uh, I need to point out as well. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, God talks about the covenant 
the new covenant, the relationship that we have with him now. And one of the things that he said would be different about the new covenant from the old covenant is this. Jeremiah 31 verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Well, that's got to be talking about the new covenant, doesn't it? That's got to be talking about the day that we live in, not the Old Testament. So I want you to notice some things. First of all, it says that God's plan under the new covenant, this is not even, not even what Joshua had. Joshua didn't have what we, is something as good as what we have, and he had the promise of success. The Old Testament promised to, even the old covenant keepers success through meditating in the word. Well, would God want to change that? When Jesus came and died on the cross? No, the Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. So that means the success of the Old Testament shouldn't compare to the success of the New Covenant because we have God living on the inside of us. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it make sense that God would produce greater results where he is and in whom he lives than in just those that served him as they did under the Old Covenant? Well, what was God's plan? Well, the Bible identifies God's plan as putting his law in our hearts. To write it in our hearts. How do you write the word of God in your heart? How do you get the word of God in your inward parts? Psalm 45 verse 1 tells us how you write the word of God in your heart. My heart is indicting a good matter. I will speak of the things which I have made touching the king. The last phrase is what I want you to see. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. In other words, the reason that the the secret, the open secret to success is meditating in the word, speaking God's word, is that it writes the word of God on your heart. It writes God's word in your spirit. There's a big difference between reading the word and having a mental knowledge that God said something and having the word of God written in your heart. Or we can say it this way, having the revelation of God's word in your spirit. I don't know of any Christians that don't know that Jesus promised that whatever you ask in his name, the father would give to you. But does that work for everybody? No, not according to the last poll that I gave you the results of. Every one of those Christians know John 16, 23, Jesus said, and in that day you shall ask me nothing, but whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Well, why doesn't that work for everybody? Because they're not following the rules to receive. They're not following the rules that govern the prayer that receives from God. You're going to have to make preparation to receive. What preparation should we make? Should we make? Well, first of all, you're going to have to decide what you want from God and then find scriptures that promise it to you. Because the prayer of faith always begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins 
where the will of God is known. If you don't know that the Bible promises you something, then you cannot have confidence or faith. Those are interchangeable terms in this setting. You can't have confidence that God will hear and answer your prayer. Now, John, writing to the church, said this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Well, see, Pastor Mike, that means that we should always pray, if it be thy will. Well, you can't pray the prayer of faith and say, if it be thy will. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. But how are we going to know the will of God? God's word is his will. If you find the scriptures that promise you what you want from God, you have identified his will on the subject. That's why it's so important for you to find the scriptures that promise you whatever it is you desire. Remember what Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. One of the things that's interesting about verse 8 that we didn't cover while we were there is that the prayer life of the believer is evidence that he's a disciple. Herein, you receiving answers to your prayers. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples. The world ought to be able to look at us and tell by the things that we receive from God that we follow him. That's what Jesus said. I think there's some ways that the, that the church ought to make the world jealous. That was God's plan under the old covenant for Israel. Well, if it was his plan then, I don't think his plan has changed today. Because he never changes. How many of you have had an experience where all of a sudden your eyes were open to a scripture you've known and read maybe a hundred times before? What is that? I like how one person describes that. It's the revelation of God in your heart. One person described that as an explosion of God's truth. In your spirit. I like that. And that's just the way I've experienced it. There was something that I was. Believing for for the church. Many years back. Had to do with the building program that we were in. And some of the trouble we were having with it. I was believing for a certain amount of money. Had been confessing. Well, since early in the year. I don't know if it's from the first of the year. But it was early in. It was in January when I began confessing a certain amount of money for the church to to have so that we could complete the work that we were doing. And it got down to about uh, early to mid-November. And boy, it looked like we were going to have everything except the amount of money that I was believing for. Now, my shower has always been my confessional. I get in the shower every day and... and, uh, confess the things that I'm believing for and nobody bothers me in there so it's a good place and so it was about uh, well as I said early to mid-November 
And boy, the finances were drying up. We were at the place where we needed the money. Didn't have it. Didn't have any prospects for it. And the devil was waiting for me to get in the shower. I usually don't shower with him, but he was there that morning. (laughs) And he said all the things that you would expect him to say. How much money you got? How many bills you got on the desk? How are you going to make that work? And I'm, st- I'm in the shower, and I know better than to try to reason things out with the devil. So I just said, Mr. Devil, I believe that it will be even as the Bible says. And I quoted Mark eleven twenty three. one more time out of thousands that I had spoken at that year. I said, the word of God says... That whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And when I said that last phrase, he shall have whatsoever he saith, something happened on the inside of me. It was like I saw for the first time that, folks, I've made that scripture work hundreds of ways. Hundreds of times. But when I said that, something happened on the inside of me, and I realized, I saw it. Could have seen it all along, I guess. But how do you compare what you can do with something God does on the inside of you? I saw so clearly that the Bible says that I'll have what I say, and I've been saying this for 10 or 11 months. I got happy. I ran the devil out of the shower almost instantly. He won't stick around if you get happy. I got happy about that and I said, yeah, that's right. I have been saying it and the Bible says I'll have what I say. He took one last shot and he said, yeah, but you didn't believe it all the times you said it. And I just started laughing. Well, within six months, we had... A third of the year's income come in. Did I say six months? I meant six weeks. In six weeks from November, the, the whatever it was, probably around the 10th of November to the end of December, we had a third of the year's income for the church come in. And it was exactly the amount of money I said we'd have. Then I started kicking myself, wishing I'd said more. Folks, the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Bible says that God told his people to put him in remembrance. Now, is God forgetful? Does God need us to remind him what he said because he forgets? Well, certainly not. Well, then what's his purpose for wanting us to bring him his word? To show him that we know what he said. Somebody said this. And I don't know who to attribute it to. I heard Brother Hagin say it. But he never said who it was that said it. If he knew. But he said this. 
He said the best kind of prayer is argumentative prayer. Now that doesn't mean you're trying to argue something out of God. But it means you're so set and so fixed on what you know the Bible says is yours. You're not willing to take no for an answer. Now God's not the one going to say no. But it goes back to being prepared to receive. You're going to have to decide what you want from God. You're going to have to find the scriptures that promise you those things. And you're going to have to be ready to use those scriptures against the devil when he comes. Now most people that fall to the attempts of the devil to rob them of what belongs to them. Do so because they don't make preparation up front. They're not ready when he attacks. And when he attacks it's too late to go find out what to do. That's why preparation is so important. That's why getting these scriptures down on the inside of you and being armed with them is such a critical issue because he will come. He'll bring doubt. He'll bring fear. Not at the time you pray. Now you may have noticed that step one doesn't even get to the time that you pray yet. It's talking about what you do ahead of time. And this is a biblical principle, again, that so many Christians seem to fail to understand. In Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul talks about be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's talking about putting that stuff on ahead of time. He's talking about becoming established in this truth before the devil attacks. You're going to have to be ready. You're going to have to realize You are in a war. Don't be like the current administration and deny that we're in one. That won't do you any good. You're in one whether you like it or not. So since you are in one, shouldn't you be prepared for when the devil attacks? Because he will attack. That's what the word of God will do for you. You write the word of God with your tongue. You write the word of God on your heart with your mouth. God told Joshua, here's the secret to success. The word of God, my words, shall not depart out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For the purpose of doing, being a doer of the word. For then, after meditating and doing the word, then you'll make your way successful. Make your way prosperous and have good success. That's God's way for success. To speak the word continually. Now folks, day and night belongs to meditating in the word. The rest of your time is yours. He seems to be placing a great burden on us, doesn't he? He's showing us the importance of never letting one moment of our day go by without the word of God being at the forefront. Now you can meditate on the word of God while you're doing other things. One of the things that uh, that seems to me that people make a mistake in, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for Bible reading programs. I'm in one every year myself. But I would rather meditate And I I could even go so far as to say this. God would prefer for you to meditate on one scripture 
that has to do with your situation and him helping you in your situation than reading chapters of the Bible every day. Because so many times we'll read chapters and get very little out of it other than the historical reference or whatever it might be. But you take one verse of Scripture, just one, and meditate in it. Say it to yourself over and over and over again. Pretty soon that one Scripture will get down on the inside of you. And when it gets down on the inside of you, then it's ammunition for you to use against the enemy to receive from God. I've never found it to work when the devil comes to me to say, well, Mr. Devil, I read 10 chapters in the Bible today. But one scripture will. My God shall meet all my needs, supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That'll work no matter how much of the Bible you read. If you get that on the inside of you. So step number one, decide what you want from God. Then find the scriptures that promise you what you want. And get those scriptures down on the inside of you. Through meditating in the word, get those scriptures down on the inside of you. And be ready to use them against the devil when he comes. Because he will. He will. But folks, you need to understand something. The devil has never been and never will be a match for the word of God. That means the word of God on your lips will overcome him and defeat him every time. Every time. Every time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege to know that whatever we ask you for in faith, we will receive. We thank you, Father, that your word is your will. We don't have to wonder what you want in a situation. We don't have to be confused in any way whatsoever. Because your word is the will of God, the spoken will of God, the revealed will of God. If your word says it, then that's the way it is. Because heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never change. And your word is truth. Thank you, Father, that the truth of your word will overcome the circumstances and the facts of our present situations. We thank you, Father, that there's nothing that's too hard for you. We thank you, furthermore, that you said... To him that believes, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible to us by faith. We thank you, Father, that we're not working contrary to your will. But this is what glorifies you. When we take your word and use it as a sword, the sword of the spirit against the evil one, to receive that which Jesus has purchased for us, Healing and health, financial provision and abundance, well-being in every area, along with the forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Father, that that brings you glory.
And it shows the world that you're on our side. That you are truly our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, let's all stand together. Let's make a confession. Say this after me. With God, all things are possible. With them that believe, all things are possible. I'm a believer, not a doubter. I believe God's word. Therefore, unto me, all things are possible. God's word is true. It's at work in my life, restoring me to health, prospering me in every way that I go, making my way plain. In Jesus' name, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. You know, the devil hates it when you say stuff like that. He'll do everything he can to keep you from saying it. It's one thing for us to say it together, but especially when you're off by yourself. Staring facts in the face that seem to contradict what the word says. Boy, he hates it when you speak to him like that then. He hates when you say, I believe it shall be even as God said. He hates it when you say, Mr. Devil, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by the word of God. He hates that. Because he knows if you stick to that, he's sunk. He's powerless to stop the things that Jesus purchased from for you from being yours and from being a reality in your life. He hates that. So he'll try to use discouragement. He'll try to use your feelings. He'll whisper in your ear and say, I don't know why you keep saying that. It's not working. You can see it's not working because he knows if you keep saying it, it'll change what you see. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The context that John said that by the Holy Ghost was he's talking about the evil spirits that are operating in the world and he said you've already overcome them. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for having me.